together. God, we are so grateful for you. God, we are thankful for our time together with you in your word this morning. Uh, God, and just as we come to you, we just say that we really need you. We need you to reveal yourself to us this morning, just as you did for the disciples uh, that we'll read about on the boat 2,000 years ago. And so, God, we ask that you would help us to see clearly who you are so that we might be able to live lives in response to that. And so, God, I just, as, just as I teach this morning, I just humbly ask that you'd empower me by your spirit just to teach rightly and with power. God, I don't have what I need apart from you. And so, God, I ask that you'd fill me so that that might happen for, for our good and, and for the benefit of your kingdom here. And, God, I pray as well that you would enable uh, those who are here to be able to listen and hear and respond. And so, God, give us hearts that are soft and moldable and that are able to receive your word and to respond rightly in light of it. And so, God, we just need you. We need you to help us to respond rightly to you and to your word and our time, to, time in it together. And, God, we pray that you would cause all that to happen, God, for our good. But more than anything, we pray for your great glory your name. Amen. Amen. Well, like I said, uh, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at River City. Uh, If you are new or visiting, I just want to say welcome. It is good to have you. It is good to be with you. Uh, If there are any ways that we can serve you or help you get connected to the community here at River City, we'd love to be able to do that. And so come find me or uh, Dustin or anybody that you saw in those small group slides. They'd really love to connect with you, help you get to connected to the community here. Additionally, this morning, is we, we always spend time studying God's Word together on Sunday mornings, and so if, there's, if you have questions about something that we studied or something that I've said, I just really encourage you, come find me afterwards. I'd love to talk with you. I don't always have all the answers, but I'd love to be able to help you as best I can, and so, um, so in whatever ways that we can serve you, we'd love to be able to do that. So like I said, this year we've been walking our way through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, probably finish up probably about the end of the summer, and then we'll start something new, but... This morning, uh, we're in the second half of chapter 14, taking a look at the second of two miracles that we see in this chapter. And if you have, ne- and maybe you have never even been to church, you've probably still heard about these two miracles. So last week, we saw Jesus miraculously feeding a crowd of 5,000. It was probably, that was just counting the men, so that was probably more like 10 to 20,000 people. This week, we're going to see Jesus walking on water. Like I said last week, the, the question that we always have whenever we, we see or encounter something miraculous is the question of how, right? We always want to know how. How is that possible? How did that happen? What are, what's the details behind it? But like I mentioned last week, when it comes to Jesus and his miracles, what's most important that we ask is not the question of how, but the question of why. You see, Jesus' miracles, they were never just like drive-by acts of kindness. They were never just like dis- simple displays of power, You see, Jesus' miracles were always sermons in action. They were him revealing something incredibly deliberately and intentionally about who he is and what he had come to do. And and so the question that should frame any study of Jesus' miracles is not just how, but it's the question of why. You see, why is Jesus doing this miracle? What is it that he is trying to reveal about himself? Who is he trying to show people that he really is? What has he come to do? You see, the truth is, is that the crowds and even the disciples, after all that they had seen so far, they still didn't quite get it. And so Jesus, again this morning, we see him graciously, patiently revealing more and more of himself so that they might see him and they might respond in faith to him. You see, last week we saw in the feeding of the 5,000 that Jesus was revealing himself as the great provider, that in miraculously and abundantly providing for their physical needs, he was calling people to put their faith in him to meet their spiritual needs, the deeper needs that only he could meet. And you see, the truth is that we saw last week, he hadn't just come to offer bread to people, he had come to be bread for people. 
You see, he didn't just have what people needed. He was what people needed. See, similarly this week, in miraculously walking on the waves, Jesus is intentionally and deliberately, he's revealing something about himself to these fearful and doubting disciples, to you and I this morning as we sit studying his word. Namely, what he is revealing is that he is the sovereign savior who that we can trust and worship even in the midst of chaos. You see, Jesus is the sovereign savior who, that, who we can trust and worship even in the midst of chaos. And so with that in mind, let's read our passage this morning. We're in Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22. Again, this is right after the feeding of the 5,000 here. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. And while he dismissed the crowd, and after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside to, uh, by himself to pray. Later that night, while he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because of the wind that was against it, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a, it's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. And Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began sinking. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they had climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat began worshiping him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. So in our passage this morning, what we see is Jesus has just finished feeding the 5,000, and we see him sending the disciples out on ahead of him so we can get some alone time, to spend some time praying and catching up. And what we saw even before that, right, is that one of his good friends had been murdered. And, and so he was in the midst of that grieving process. He, he performs his miracle of feeding the 5,000, so he just needs some space. And so it's, a, it's about a four or five mile trip across the Sea of Galilee. And, and it's really common on the Sea of Galilee for storms to kind of rise up just kind of out of nowhere. And so these 12 guys, a bunch of them who are professional fishermen, who are from very familiar with life on the water, they've been battling against this storm all night, and they, probably, they are probably exhausted, both physically and mentally. It's, imagine like when you're driving and it's really bad weather. You know how tiring that is, right? You can, you can drive a long way when it's nice out, right? But when, it's, when there's snow coming down and the roads are terrible, like you are 10 and 2 and you are just like gripped. Right, you get done with like a 40-minute drive, and you're like, all right, I'm going to need a nap after that, right? Because you're tired. Like driving in that, driving in bad weather, that's really tiring. So add being in a boat on open water to that. That's just straight-up scary, right? Like that, that is hard. And even for these professional fishermen, they are, they are very aware of what life is like out on the water. It says they have been struggling the entire night. And so they are exhausted, and so it's, it's into this chaos that Jesus strolls up to these guys just walking on the waves. And they think he's a ghost, and they're freaking out, and all he says to them, all he says is, take courage, it's I. Don't be afraid. And see, in those few words, I think we learn that trusting Jesus in the midst of chaos, it begins by seeing him for who he really is. 
See, trusting Jesus in the midst of chaos, it always begins by seeing him for who he really is. You see, in the midst of the chaos all around them, Jesus comes, he's walking on the waves, and his greeting to them isn't, hey guys, it's me, Jesus. Remember me? Like, we've been hanging out for a long time. You've been seeing some crazy things go on. Remember back in chapter 8 when you were in a very similar situation, and I just spoke, and the waves stopped, and you remember all of that? Like, No, that's, that's not his greeting to them, is it? He comes strolling up to them on the waves, and his greeting is simply this, it is I. You see those words, it is I, literally in the Greek, it is translated, I am. Jesus is intentionally using the language of the Old Testament. He's using the language that God used to introduce himself to Moses in the burning bush. And when Jesus comes walking out on the waters onto the sea in the late hours of the night, after these disciples have been struggling against the wind for all these hours, what he is literally shouting to them is, I am God. He's shouting it with his words. He's shouting it with his actions. You see, Moses and Elijah and Elisha, all these prophets, they had done lots of water miracles, the parting of the Red Sea, the the spreading of the Jordan. But in the Old Testament, there is only one person who is said to have the authority to walk on water. Passages like Job tell us that God alone is the one who did it. Job 9.8 tells us that he alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. You see, Jesus is not a ghost. He is not an aberration. He is not a memory. He is not, nor is he a great moral teacher or just a wise sage. No, the one who comes walking out on the water to rescue these fearful and doubting disciples is the great I am himself. It is God in the flesh who has come. You see, and we cannot miss that. It's the sovereign Lord of creation who has come to save these disciples. You see, being able to trust Jesus in the midst of chaos all around you begins by seeing him for who he really is. You see, he is not simply a ghost. He's not just a good man. He's not just a wise teacher. You see, Jesus is the God of the universe. Everything is in his hand. He has all authority. Everything is under him. You see, Colossians tells us that he's the one who made all things and that by him everything is held together. Just moments ago, he had fed 5,000 people from seven loaves and two fish. In chapter 8, he had calmed the storms by simply rebuking them, by speaking to them. What we see in our passage this morning is that Peter hears him loud and clear. Peter hears loud and clear who Jesus is saying that he is, and that's why he gets out of the boat. One pastor notes this way, Peter saw the great I am was standing on top of everything that terrified him, and so he focused not on what he had to walk through, but on whom he was walking to. See, and that brings us to the second thing we see about trusting Jesus in the midst of chaos. You see, it's when we recognize who he is, when we see Jesus for who he is, it leads us to faith in his commands, even in the midst of chaos. You see, verse 28 You see, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me, command me then to come out to you on the water. And so Jesus says, come. He gives him the command, come. And so Peter comes. A lot of people like to skip ahead to the part in the story where Peter just sinks and, oh, Peter, you messed up again. That's right. But I just want to take a minute to to let the gravity of what we see happening in the story sink in for us. You see, it is the middle of the night Peter is exhausted. The storm is still raging. Notice the waves have not been calmed yet. The storm has not stopped yet. Jesus has just come out onto the waters yelling who he is to these disciples. And Jesus simply says, it is I, come. And so Peter gets out of the boat. You see, 11 guys, they didn't even think to ask to get out of the boat. 
and Peter does, and more than just asking, he, he steps out of the boat and he walks on the water towards Jesus. You see, he steps out not onto calm water, but onto a sea that is still raging because who he saw clearly was the one who made the waves in the first place. You see, sometimes God calls us to step out in faith into rough waters, into a situation that feels uncertain, that feels unsure, in which we don't have all of the answers to all of the questions. What that happens is that we see in our passage this morning is that Jesus, the reason we can trust Jesus and respond to faith in his commands is because, just as Jen Wilkin notes, she says, in the midst of the chaos, it is the great God of order who strides towards us on the waves. It's the great God of order who who strides towards us on the waves. And so we can get out of the boat. We can step out in faith, even in situations and times that feel uncertain, that feel chaotic. But the passage teaches us that we can respond to faith in Jesus' commands, that that we can have faith in him in the midst of chaos, even in bigger situations. See, Jesus hadn't just sovereignly commanded Peter to come out to him on the waves. Jesus had sent the disciples into the storm in the first place. You see, it is really important that that clicks for you this morning. See, Jesus was not surprised by the storm that popped up on the, on the, on the, on the sea that night. You see, so often what happens is when we, we look at chaos around us in our lives and, and we think either God is unaware or that he is uninvolved in the situation, that he does not see us or cannot see us, or, or sometimes we believe that the reason why we're in the storms of life is, is our own fault, that we're not doing something right or that we're out of God's will. And, but sometimes that's just not the case. We see here as Warren Wearsby writes, he says, there are two kinds of storms. There are storms of correction where God is disciplining us, and there are storms of perfection when God is wanting to grow us. You see, Jonah, you remember the story of Jonah? He was called to go to Nineveh and said he heads the opposite direction, and he is in the midst of a literal storm. Jonah's in the storm because he disobeyed God, and God was correcting him. But these disciples, they are in the midst of the storm, not because that they were disobedient in any way. In fact, they obeyed everything that Jesus had told them to do. He had sent them on ahead, and, and they obediently go where he had sent them. See, some of you, you're in storms of life right now because you are living in opposition to God and his will. And the invitation in scripture to that is always to repent and obey. It's to repent and put your faith in Jesus. And Jesus is correcting you in the midst of that because he is calling you and wanting and inviting you to put your faith back in him. But some of you are in storms of life right now and it is not because of disobedience. You are not outside of God's plan for you in any way, shape, or form. In fact, what God is doing is he is using the storms of life to perfect something in you. You see, he's not just doing something to you, he is doing something in you. You see, the Bible clearly shows us that God sovereignly ordains trials in our lives at various points in order to reveal things to us about his character and about his nature, about who he is, things that, things that we could not learn any other way. You see, what happens is that we want God to take us around the storms, but in his sovereign graciousness, God takes us through them so that we might see that he is greater than the storms themselves. This week I got a birthday reminder on my calendar for the daughter of a friend of ours. She would have been uh, three years old this year, but uh, she passed away just a few months after being born. Her life was full of a chaotic storm of sickness and all things that were going on with that, and full of ups and downs, and as, our, as we knew their parents and were close with them, we, we spent lots of time praying for them and praying with them and, and engaging in that situation with them. 
And during that whole time, uh, her mom, she wrote a blog with updates about their daughter, but she also wrote about updates about how Jesus was meeting her in the midst of that. And, how the, and in the end, she wrote this. And I just want to read this because I just remember this sticking into my heart. She wrote this. She said, I'm beginning to believe that with every season of suffering that comes my way, I will one day look back and see that it was the best outcome that could have possibly come to fruition. You see, one day we will rejoice that God in his wisdom sovereignly gave and sovereignly took away for. Through it, we will learn to savor the glory of Christ more than if our daughter was still on earth. You see, how that will work itself out, I do not know. But we can genuinely have great hope knowing that this is the future that is in store for us. She goes on to write, my favorite song recently has been It Is Well With My Soul, written by Horatio Spafford, mainly because it was written to emphasize the hope that we have in Christ rather than in any other thing, regardless of how awful our circumstances are. Spafford lost his two-year-old son to the great Chicago fire and and later lost all four of his daughters in a ship that sank. And even in the midst of all that, somehow he was able to look at God's initiative, God's deep initiative that he took to meet his most desperate need of all, to have his sin dealt with. And by God's grace, my friend Rachel, she writes, I have been gradually been able to sing with Horatio and to believe the truth that Christ is sufficient, that he meets my deepest needs, even if everything in my life were to be lost. And that is a hope that is unshakable. You see, you don't write something like that in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of the storms of life, you don't write something like that unless you have seen Jesus clearly. Unless you have seen him as the sovereign savior who has come, who you can trust, who you can hope in, even in the midst of chaos all around you. You see, and when you see Jesus for who he is, the one who has met your deepest needs, the one who has not held himself back but has given himself fully to meet your most deepest need, then what you can know and be sure of is that he is not absent and he is not void, that he is not powerless to meet your needs in the midst of the, in the, midst of the storms and the chaos that you are walking through. See, when you see Jesus for who he is, the sovereign Savior, it leads you to faith in him faith in his commands, faith in his leading, faith in his direction, even in the midst of chaos. You can trust that God is sovereignly able to work for your good, even in the midst of the storms. Romans 8 teaches us those things. Warren Wearsby, again, he writes this, the storms of life are not easy, but they are necessary. They teach us to trust Christ alone and to obey his word no matter the circumstances. So seeing Jesus clearly enables us to respond in faith to his commands and his direction. But, but seeing Jesus for who he is, what we see in this passage, is always enables us to, to respond in faith to his power in the midst of chaos, to rely on his strength in the midst of chaos. You see, Matthew, he doesn't tell us how long the disciples were battling the storm, but, but we can fairly assume that it had been all night long. We see in verse 24 that the, the boat was already a long ways from land. And so these disciples are a night into to this storm. They are out of energy. They are out of resources. They are out of knowing what to do and how to respond. They are out of rescue. They are out of, of human hope was gone. And that's when Jesus comes in striding on the waves. See, but the truth is that he came. 
You see, and he's showing the disciples that this sea, the very thing that they feared, the, the thing that they were powerless to overcome, it was simply the ground on which he walked to come find them. You see, it's his power alone that could rescue them. And that's why what we see this morning is that you don't just need, you don't need giant faith. What you need is genuine faith. You see, one of the things that distinguishes Christianity is that we don't believe that it's our faith itself that saves us or that sustains us. Rather, it is the object of our faith. It's not the strength of your faith. It's the object of your faith that saves you. See, your amount of faith isn't the thing that saves you. It's not the thing that sustains you. It's not the thing that changes everything. It's the object object of your faith that changes everything. You see, it is not the amount of faith you have that matters. It is the object of your faith that matters. We see that with Peter. You see what causes him to sink. Verse 30, but when he was, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. You see, Peter, what he does is he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he becomes overwhelmed by the power of the wind and the waves where, where once when he was looking at Jesus, he was so overwhelmed by Jesus' power that the waves were not even a concern for him. He just simply stepped out of the boat. You see, the story this morning, so often this gets taught in a way that's we just need to trust. Like, it's just about how much faith you have and you just need to have more faith The story is not about how much faith you have. It's about the object of where your faith is put. You see, Peter took his eyes off of the one who could save him. And he begins to sink. And what does he do? He puts his eyes back on the one who can. He reaches out. He begins to sink. And he says, Jesus, Lord, save me. Even as he's sinking, he knows who can save him. And so he calls out to Jesus to save him, and he does. Notice there, there's, there's no concern on Jesus' part. There's no emergency in that situation. Just as Jesus reaches out his hand and catches him. Jesus is not worried. He is not concerned. He is not, he is not emotionally straught. He is calm. You see, because Jesus is the king of all. He is the maker of the waves. He tells Peter, why did you doubt? You were looking at me. Why did you doubt? That word translated doubt, it carries the meaning of standing at uncertainty between two waves, between two different ways. You see, what Peter had is Peter started out with great faith and ended up with little faith because what we saw is that he saw that there was two ways instead of one. You see, he saw two great powers, Jesus and the waves, when really there was only one great power at play that night. You see, the one whose power had made the waves was the only one whose power mattered. And as soon as they step in the boat, what happens? The storm calms. You see, Matthew is recording this story for us, this account. Not because he's wanting to convict us of having little faith, but because he is wanting to point us to the only object of faith that can actually save. You see, we can trust Jesus in the midst of chaos because he is the sovereign savior of all. You see, Matthew is calling us to a saving faith in him, just as Jesus was inviting these disciples to a saving faith in him that night. You see, and what happened was we see that they responded rightly in worship to him. They say, truly you are the son of God, and they, they worship him as the one who had made the waves And I just want to invite you this morning to put your trust and to worship Jesus as the one who has made the waves in the midst of the storms you find yourself in this morning. Set your eyes on him, the object of faith that might save you in the midst of the storms. You see, maybe for some of you that might need to happen for the first time this morning. 
You see, like Peter, Jesus is waiting for you to admit your need for him. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel, isn't it? You see, Jesus stands with his hand outstretched. He is not worried. He is not fearful. He is in absolute authoritative control of all things. And he is waiting that we might invite him, that we might ask him, that we might admit our need for him to rescue us. You see, in communion, what we're remembering is our insufficiency to save ourselves, but Jesus' absolute sufficiency to save us. See, what we're celebrating is that while we are not enough to save ourselves, everything that Jesus did, it was absolutely enough to save us, that he is the one that we needed, and that what he accomplished with his life and death and resurrection is the one thing that makes us right with God, that we are forgiven and we are cleansed and we are purified by his work alone on our behalf, not by something you do or you merit or something you add to the table. You see, communion, it does not make you right with God. It does not save you. The one thing that can save you, the object of faith that can save you, is Jesus alone. Instead, communion is a chance for us to remember, to remind ourselves about the one who has come striding on the waves to rescue us. It's a chance for us to remember those truths and to set our hearts on them, to, to set our eyes on Jesus. See, the bread and the juice, they're in the back. And you take the bread and you dip it in the juice, and that's how you take communion here at River City. And as we sing and as we worship, as we remember the gospel together in song this morning, if you put your trust in Jesus, then whenever you're ready, go back and take communion. You don't need to be a member here at River City. You just need to belong to Jesus. As we take communion this morning, I just want to invite you, spend some time talking with God this morning. Ask him to show you if the storm that you feel like you are in right now is a storm of correction or one of perfection. See, again, some of you are in the midst of storms of life because you are actively living in rebellion against God and his word. And the invitation in that situation is always to repent to turn from sin and to turn in faith towards Jesus. But some of you this morning, you are in the midst of storms and then the reason you are there is because God is wanting to do something in you that he could not do another way. He is wanting to reveal something about himself to you. He is wanting to graciously show you something about who he is that you could not learn another way and he is doing it for your good. He is doing it so that you might know him more, that you might treasure him more, that you might enjoy him more so that your hope would not be found in anything other than him. All those things will always let you down. They will always leave you longing. They will always fail you. But there is one who has come to be the hope that you so desperately need and the one hope that has the power to to actually give you what you're looking for. You see, in the midst of a storm of perfection, the invitation that we have this morning is to ask God that he might give us faith to trust him in the midst of it, to walk with him in the midst of it. You see, Jesus does not send these disciples around the storm. He sends them through it. And because he, what he is doing is showing them something that is worth more than any trial they could have gone through. You see, you can trust Jesus in the midst of chaos because he is the sovereign Savior who has come to rescue. So ask him this morning to give you faith to walk with him in the midst of those things. But I want to encourage you as well this morning to ask him where he is inviting you to step out in faith in response to his sovereign authority. 
You see, the whole point of this morning, right, is that Jesus is calling these disciples to faith in him and who he has revealed himself to be. He is the sovereign Lord of all. They can put their faith in him. You see, and what we're going to see throughout the rest of the course of Matthew is that Jesus sends these disciples out on mission with him. He sends them to do some incredibly scary and dangerous things. He sends them into difficult and uncertain situations and uncertain scenarios. And if they had not seen that he is the sovereign Savior here, they would have not been able to walk with him in faith into the situations that he was calling them into later. You see, where is God inviting you to step out in faith this morning in response to his sovereign authority? Maybe for you, God is inviting you to step out in faith with your finances and to to be generous again, embracing sacrifice in a way that you have not before. Maybe God's inviting you to obey him with your sexuality or the relationships that you have in response to his sovereign authority, in response to his goodness, putting your life under his authority. Maybe God is calling you to step out in faith by actually surrendering to him and pursuing him as the one true source of life. And you have been seeking him and you have been pursuing him but he is asking you to step out in faith and to actually surrender to him. Maybe God is asking you to step out in faith in uh, taking a risk and speaking with a friend or a neighbor or a coworker about your faith in him and about how that's changing who you are. You see, and in all those situations, the things that God invites us to step out in faith are not things that he is doing to get us to. We don't earn something from him by obeying him. We're not trying to prove ourselves to him. Instead, he is inviting us to step out in faith in response to who he has has revealed himself to be. You see, he is the sovereign Savior, but he is also good and loving and just and faithful. Ask him to remind you about who he is so that you might actually live your life in response to him. You see, the way to faith in the midst of fear is that we must set our eyes on Jesus. You see, the good news about the gospel and God's word is that we have the account of who Jesus has revealed himself to be. It's not a mystery. It's the truth that we see in God's word. So I want to invite you this morning to set your eyes on him in the midst of the storms that you might find yourself in. Ask him to reveal himself to you. Ask him to show you who he really is so that you might have faith to live in light of his promised revelation of himself. Ask him to do that for your good, but more than anything, so that you might live, as, as Peter tells us in First Peter, so that when the Lord returns, we might have glory and honor unto him. Let's pray. King Jesus, we are so grateful that you are not just a wise sage. You are not just a good moral teacher. You're not a ghost. Jesus, you are the king of the universe. And that night... On the Sea of Galilee, you came striding on the waves to save these fearful and doubting disciples. And Jesus, we come to you this morning and we say, we are just like them. God, so often in the midst of storms, we are fearful and full of doubt. God, we look at the circumstances around us and we see, we see the power of those things. And instead, what we need to see, Jesus, is your great power over everything. 
So God, this morning, for those that are here this morning, they're in a storm of correction. Jesus, I pray that you would greatly, generously, lovingly call them to faith and repentance in you. God, for those who are here this morning and they, like the disciples, are in the midst of a storm of perfection in which you are perfecting something in them, you are transforming something in them, Jesus, I pray that they would come to you, the God of the waves. God, and they would ask you to to give them faith in the midst of the storm to give them hope in the midst of the storm, not blind faith, not ignorant faith, but faith that comes in response to you revealing yourself, who you have shown yourself to be. Jesus, thanks that you are good, thanks that you have all authority, and thanks that you reveal yourself to us so that we might live in response to it. God, help us to do that. We need you. Thanks that you've come to show us who you are, to be the sovereign Savior whom we can trust and worship. Amen.